me intimately, and it's exactly what I don't listen to. Uh, so that is great. Uh, okay, so we, um, I'm going to speak loudly because I don't like handheld microphones. So if at any point you can't hear me, I will use the microphone. Um, it's just not my preference. So we have a large portion of scripture we're going to go through. Um, I, I picked it. I know I picked it. I know it's a large portion, but my hope is that we're going to tie it all back into each other because it's a section that I think is really good. Um, we're going to continue our, our series in, entitled Gym Class, J-I-M, for the book of James. We're going to be looking back in, in uh, the book of James and talking about exercising wisdom and faith. And so um, I've invited Kevin to go ahead and, and read the portion we're looking at. It's uh, James 1, verse 18 through 27. In the, ex in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth in the world of truth, so that we, be, we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers of who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But for one who looks intently at the perfect law, at the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Great. Why don't you guys go ahead and, before we dive in, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Lord, we do ask God that you would um, speak, God, that your word would be uh, what it is. It would nourish our hearts, nourish our souls. God, I do ask that uh, it would be, have an effect in our lives and cause us to rise with great affection for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. Okay, have you, have you ever refused a really good gift? Just flat out refused it? Um, like, no, no, no. I, I, can't, I can't accept this gift for you paying for me for college. Dad, I just can't, I can't do it. I insist to not accept that gift. Or, or, thanks for the new car, Mom and Dad, but, you know, I see it looks great, but I just got a brand new Schwinn. <laughs> have, you, have you ever refused a gift? Maybe someone has. 
Have you? I mean, this is a question. This is audience. Per We're going to be doing some audience participation. Okay. You, you have you? Why did you refuse? Okay. You felt guilty about it. Do you, would you mind sharing what it was? Yeah. Um, so I teach gymnastics, and this girl's mom wanted to buy me coach shoes. And I, like, yeah, I just taught her daughter. She's, like, three for, like, the summer. Yeah. Not coach, like. Yeah. So coach, Co coach, like, expensive. Yes, yes. No, I'm familiar with uh, the, the brand coach. Yeah. Not, like, I'm the coach. Okay. Okay. So... So you felt that was just way too extravagant. Yeah, like, ask me for my size and everything. I was like, I can't let you do that. Like, I, I can't do that. That's crazy. Okay. Anyone else? Barney? I did, but it's because I wanted to do something else. My mom was offering to take me on vacation and, uh, or something. I was in high school. It was like a party that we can go to. Great. Sometimes we refuse gifts, and, and there's really good reasons for doing it. Um, strings attached. Sometimes gifts are given with strings attached. Like, here, here's this, but now I kind of have bought you, and you're gonna, I'm going to subtly control you through, through my gift, because you better be grateful, and I'm going to help teach you when you're ungrateful. Sometimes people do that. So there could be some really good reasons to refuse a gift. I understand that. Both the cars that, I, that we drive as a family um, were given to us as gifts, uh, which is crazy because somebody asked me the other day uh, that I drove to, um, to the retreat, um, you have a movie player like in the front? No, that's a backup mirror, like a backup video camera. And, and it's like, I didn't ask for it. This guy who supports us in, in, in our ministry um, basically said, um, you can have our car, and I'm driving it up today and going to turn over and hand you uh, the title to it. And so he signed it over and, and in 10 minutes just left. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Okay? Both cars that we have. We haven't had a car payment in 10 years. And uh, so I'll be 36 this year. So we haven't had a car payment in 10 years. Most people, um, they have car payments. We've never had one. And you see, God's word we're getting into that we heard is a gift that's held out to each of us. And it's my deep hope tonight that he would speak to you and you wouldn't refuse him. You wouldn't refuse what he's saying. The author, in Hebrews, uh, uh, the author of Hebrews in four, Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word is living and active. His word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and the discerning thoughts of the intentions of the heart. The prophet Isaiah in, in 55.11 says that when God's word goes out from his mouth, it will not return to God empty, but it will accomplish what God sends it to go do. Paul reminds Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. All of it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof, correction and training. And so when we come to this little gem in our gym class series, it's like, 
bam, for me, this is where the rubber meets the road. What we've read today is where the rubber meets the road. Today, we're going to exercise some muscles that maybe you've never used before, or you haven't used them lately. If you have the scriptures, you have the most tangible, valuable gift in the entire universe. By it, we measure our lives. We understand who God is. We shape our lives to it. We conform to God's heart by learning it and living it. This is where I plug root groups. So if you don't know what one is, talk to a home group leader or a small group leader. Because we're convinced that when you get your head and your heart engaged in this gift of God's word, it will be the most life-altering thing that you do. So let me give you some compelling reasons from James about God's word and why it's important, starting in verse 18. I know there's a section break in 19. Um, I don't, don't be distracted by the section break um, in 19. I think 18 fits with the rest of this section and uh, it's connected with it and I want to show you why I think that. In verse 18 it says, of his, that is God's own will, he brought us forth by the word, word of truth that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, from the, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 18, it talks about God's work originated by his will through his word. God's work in your life originated by his will. It was his desire to do it through his word. The whole idea of anyone being brought forth or um, if you have an NIV, what does it say? Yeah. He, okay. He chose to give us birth. We're brought forth. I think the version Kevin read was a little different. The whole idea is that is the starting place of anyone's coming to faith. It was God's will to do that. So faith in Christ originates with hearing God's word. I'm saying what scripture says, that we who have faith in Christ were once spiritually dead and in us there was darkness and that God through his word makes us spiritually alive. He gives us the light of the gospel and that's from darkness. From darkness comes light. So our whole life, life in God, in Christ, originates because God brings it forth from his word. His word is really, really important. If you have a starting place in your walk with God, if it starts anywhere, it started there. If you have a starting place, it started there. It started with God's word. I once was dead, then I heard and I read, or it was taught to me, God's word, and I, I believe. And God, God makes me spiritually alive. God does it. He, he, he does it. And we read it that he does it because it was his will. It was his good pleasure to do it. So that the word would grow and we would be first fruits. 
Because there's a harvest coming. We're waiting for the harvest here. They haven't started it. So maybe some farmers have, but we're waiting. But there is a harvest coming. And it all begins with God's word. The planting of that word in our lives. That's why, that's why we're to be quick to listen. To listen to what? What are we to be quick to listen to? That's a real question. So what, what are we to be quick to listen to? Does that say that in verse 19? Engage with me here. What does James have in mind that we're to be quick to listen to? I think two things. God's word. Quick to listen to each other. I think most of us think of, oh, this is about people. And and I think it is, but I also think it's also about God's word because he, he, he reasons that be quick to listen, slow to speak. And there are a whole bunch of um, things going on during the time uh, that we're, we're going to get into, we're going to talk a little bit. But listening to God's word makes sense from what he's talking about. And we're, we're getting to verse 21. All this is kind of going up to verse 21. But he moves from quick to listen, to slow to speak, to an exhortation that we, we would therefore receive with meekness the implanted word. And I think what a beautiful way of saying that. And I want to help illustrate what that is. But he goes from God's word and he brings it full circle in verse 21 back to God's word. And then we're going to take the ball from here, okay, from what we're talking about, and we're going to pound it up the middle for some extra yardage. Do you like that? I'm just, I've all been about football all week here. We're going to look at the rest of this portion about hearing and doing the word of God. All of this is hinges on us understanding these first couple of verses. So the question is, are you quick to listen to God's word? Are you quick to listen to it? Are you quick to hear it? Are you eager? What would need to change in your life for you guys to be quick to listen? Not to one another, but to God's word. Again, I'm trying to build a very compelling case for you to hear what I'm saying and hear from God. I too think that James is also talking about interpersonal relationships here because of the trials that are suffered in the early church. We talked about that a couple years ago, or a couple weeks ago. We've talked about that a couple years ago too. You just go ahead and take that out of there. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did talk about that. That's um, have joy when facing trials of, of many kinds and have wisdom to understand what the trials are. Okay, So the trials that were suffered by the early church um, were persecutions caused by Judaism, and they, they argued with Jewish believers, and that caused division amongst God's people. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, for the anger of man, verse 20, doesn't produce the righteousness that God requires. And so in two weeks, we're going to talk about the tongue. Two weeks from now, we're going to dive into, um, into chapter 3. We're going to talk about the tongue. So for our purposes tonight... Um, This is here, all I want you to know is that this little section here about being quick to listen is bookended and talking about God's word. Verse 18 and verse 21. Arguing, anger, being quick to speak won't change anybody. It doesn't glorify God, but instead we're to put what all filthiness and rampant wickedness away 
and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We started talking about the realization that spiritual life, salvation, we'll call it, new life, it begins with God's word, and now we're called to receive with meekness the word already implanted in us. This is what everything the rest of tonight hinges on. It, it pivots on this because, and for, for that matter, for the rest of the semester, we'll probably go back to uh, receiving with meekness the implanted word. I want to talk about what that means. But the gospel of salvation in Jesus, it springs from hearing the word of truth, verse 18, and God implanting his word in you. Do you see those bookends? Okay. The new birth happens through the Spirit, by the Word of God, or the Word of Truth. And when that happens, God implants in you His Spirit, and His Word goes into your life, and it starts to take root. Jesus said of the leaders who were trying to kill Him, You seek to kill me because my Word finds no place in you. John 8, 37. The Word of Truth was not implanted in them. See, before we are born again or have a spiritual new birth, our hearts are full of just other things that push out the Word of God. John Piper says, we're like people who eat candy all day, and then when the feast is offered to us, we have no desire to eat the real thing. We're like people who just eat candy all day. And then when, when God offers a feast, we're just too full. We don't want it. We don't want it. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, When you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. The apostle John says this, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. 1 John 2.14 The word does not come into our lives and then leave our lives. When it comes, it creates life and faith and it abides. So it comes, you are brought forth, you have new life, you have a new birth because of the word of God, and when it comes, then it's implanted in you. The gospel is implanted in us, it abides in us, it never leaves us, and it's always at work in our lives. So the question when I'm reading through this is, how do you receive something that is already in you? How do you receive something that's already in you? What is that about? Again, it's a real question. Um, is it okay if I go on? Okay, let me just hear from a couple more people. Can I, give it, can I give an analogy to help maybe sharpen this? If I acknowledge that I have a heart and it works, does it work any differently or better? Okay, so maybe it's not quite just that acknowledgement. Maybe there's something else 
working. Does that make sense? My heart is in me. It's implanted in me. Okay. Okay. Say, say it here. here. Here's a gift card. You guys, we're going to... Awesome. I'm, I'm not going to take your... Here, pass that back to Gina. Okay. Here. Not yet. I'm getting to you. I'm getting to you. Okay. Maybe I misunderstood you. So it's acknowledging what's already in you. Okay, well, we'll keep going. I'm going to, DeAndre, what? So a lot of what you guys are saying is acknowledging what, what God is already doing. It, that is a way of receiving what's already inside of you. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. Is that okay? Yeah, the, the only, the only um, uh, if we're really looking at is something gets implanted in us and it's a part of us, how do we then receive with meekness? And I want to walk through this. Cause I, think, I think for you guys to really see this and understand this, again, we're going to go back to the context of James because everything else that we, that we read already hinges on really understanding this and what the gospel does and is for even though God already brought us, brought those who have faith in him to a point of, huh, new birth, okay? So, um, the gospel is to be the centerpiece of our lives, okay? The gospel is to be the centerpiece. Everything else revolves around it. It's, it's the gospel that took root in our lives, and it's the gospel that will bear fruit in our lives, Verse 18, again, as we continue to live by it, okay, we are going to be the first fruits. We are going to bear fruit if we continue to live by it. When we, when we sit here and we're listening to God's word, when we read it, when we pray, when we share it, 
That is the external word that allows the gospel that is fully planted in us to grow. Does that make sense? There's something in us, but there's something too that when you read it externally, when you hear it, and when you put your eyes on it, and when you share it, it allows that thing that's inside of it, it nourishes us, the word that's implanted in us, and, and because of that, then it grows. Again, this is the hinge that, that the rest of this stuff pivots on. Do I need to explain that again, maybe a little bit differently? Okay. Uh, an analogy? A, a plant. A, um, how about, how about a, a, a human body one? Okay. Um, you need air and you need to breathe air and take it in. Your lungs were designed for it, but you need to take it in in order to survive, in order to live, in order to keep, continue going. You have all the functionality to be able to live, but if you stop breathing, you're not going to. Okay? So the idea here is, is that God has put his word inside of us, and we're to receive it, when, and we do receive it when we read it, when we listen to it, when we come to God's word, that what it is doing is that that is the piece that, of the puzzle that makes and shapes and gives, uh, uh, gives life to that implanted seed that makes it grow up. Because if you didn't do that, if you just kind of read a, somebody said, hey, um, love Jesus. Okay, I love Jesus. And you never never went back to the word. You never checked it. You never listened to it. You never, you probably wouldn't have a huge growth experience. So we're to receive with meekness the implanted word. Okay? We're, we're, it's an external receiving of something that God is already doing inside of you. And we do that through listening and through reading scripture and through talking about it and sharing it does that make sense okay 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 so so the words implanted in us and then we receive it again when we what i mean you've if you've been around a little bit then you've heard me say this if not this may be new but the gospel is for the christian too I need it. I need it. I need to be reminded of it. I need it every single day. That's true. I do. Do I need to, for, am I going to, is God going to, does he forget about me? And then kind of, oh gosh, again, I need to pull him back up. I need to save him again. I need to do something. No, he doesn't do that. But I need the gospel every single day. And so I receive with what, James says, we're to receive it with Meekness, with meekness. Someone give a good working definition of meekness. What is meekness? What is being meek? Can you tell us what verse you're referring to so we have a different translation? 24? Is that right? Maybe? Uh, no, 21. 21. What's meekness? I have my translation in simple humility. Simple humility. Great. Simple humility. Meekness. 
Jesus was meek. He wasn't a pushover, but he was meek. Meekness certainly means teachability, an eagerness, a readiness to surrender to God's word. We should be eager to surrender, to hear it and surrender it, and then judge our lives by it. A horse can be meek. If you take a wild horse and you train it, those of you who've been around horses, they are some of the most powerful creatures I've ever sat on, okay? They can do a lot of damage. Is that funny? Isn't that great? Dragons and... You'd be surprised. If you've sat on a horse before, you know that a horse can do some damage to you. In an instant, it has the power to do a ton of things. Jesus said, can I not call to my Father and would he not send legions of angels? He would. But he didn't. It's like putting a bit in a horse's mouth. All of that is controlled. There's meekness there. It does not mean wimpiness. It just means a bridled strength. Okay, and in this idea of meekness too, there's a, there's, a certain, there's a certain amount of teachability and eagerness when we come to God's Word. Are we eager to listen to it? We're not supposed to receive it, um, to welcome it. That's what the word, some of what that word means, welcoming it, receive it, welcome it, um, like uh, with suspicion or distrust. Or receive it with, with meekness. Like, here's a fantastic gift. I want you to have it. Do you know the phrase, uh, never look a gift horse in the mouth? Mm-hmm. You ever hear that? Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. Okay, what does it mean? It means, like, if someone gives you something, like, oh, let's check it out, see if it's really good. Because like, to check, to look at a horse's mouth, like, it's the way it's people as was it how healthy it was. Yeah, it's age and it's health. You could, you could judge it. So uh, I think it was Jerome who first said it, um, St. Jerome. But when God gives you his word... We don't, we don't go, eh, let, me, eh, let me see. Is this really? No, it's the word of God. Receive it. Take it in with eagerness. Don't refuse this great gift that God's given you. As I was thinking about how amazing and life-changing and how dependent we are, but sometimes don't live it on God's word, I kept thinking about the rest of the world. Some of you just might take something like this and tonight and just decide, I think I may change the entire course of my life. Do you know how many languages there are in the world? 6,900 languages. About 400 are probably going the way of extinction very soon. Do you know how many have little or no portion of scripture? Little or no portion. 4,400. 4,400 languages. Many of them don't, aren't even written. It's just a language. Paul's life can be summed up in Romans 10.13 when he says, how can they call on whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in whom they've never heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? How can they preach unless they're sent? Right now, men and women are giving their lives for the translation of Scripture and into unwritten languages. This is a huge task in undertaking. Huge. Maybe some of you might do this. We pray. Some might. 
So we hear God's word and we receive it, the call to, resent, uh, to surrender. If we receive it, it's a call to surrender. Verse 22, be but doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what, forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his doing. I want to share with you a little bit about kind of how we train our kids at home when you look at this. Again, we're looking at how do you receive with meekness? Well, one of the things James says is when you hear the word of God, do what it says. If you hear it, do what it says. If you're not hearing it, I pray that you would hear it. I pray that you would do every single external thing that you can to get yourself surrounded by the word of God and just hearing it. This is some of how we train our kids. And I'm going to walk, I want you to use this, use this as an illustration to help you guys see this. We talk to our kids, listen to my voice, know my voice. When I speak, I want you to listen. Obey my voice at all times. When you hear me speak and I give you a command, I want you, to, want you to obey. There's a consequence when you don't. There's a consequence when you don't obey. You see, if we train them to hear our voice and surrender to it, that's good for their lives. Because when we say stop, we mean it. Every time. Every time we say stop, we mean it. And we treat, teach them and train them, not to scare them, but what if a car is coming and they ignore our voice? That's a consequence that I don't want my kids to discover. And so what we do is we train our kids to yield to us, to yield to us, to hear our voice. And we also need training to yield to God's word, to receive it in a position of meekness so that we will be able to say, I'm doing what God says, what he wants. God wants you to know his voice. He wants you to know what he says. You won't know his voice uh, without committing this year to engage in reading the word. You won't be able to do what the word says if you don't know what it says. Lightning did not strike my life. I don't know if what your guys' experience was like, but lightning didn't strike my life, you know, come down and thunderclap when I said, God, whatever you want from my life and my soul, take it because I'm done. At that point, that was a point of surrender for me. God didn't infuse me with just knowledge of Scripture. It wasn't like, boom, you know, I took the red pill or whatever it was and, and everything came alive and I saw it all. But I've trained myself to know God's voice. I'm still training myself to know him and to hear him clearly. And there's a couple people in here who, who far surpass me in their knowledge of God's word and have memorized huge portions of scripture. And I really, really love it. I see them doing this all the time, Craig. And I just go, man, this is awesome. This is awesome. Because we can't please God if we don't know what he wants from us, his, his kids. We can't please him. And after hearing him, I need to do the hard things that he asks of me. If I hear him, I need to be able to say, okay, God, I'm surrendered. I've received what you've said with meekness. I'm yielded to your word. I want to do what you say. I want you to understand this. Truth doesn't change a life. God's word doesn't just change lives. It's the application of God's word that changes lives. 
It's the application of God's Word that's going to change your life. There's two things about this. One, we, we plead that you would hear and you would learn to read your, the Scriptures and understand it. Know what you're reading. And we plead, too, that you would apply what you're discovering to your life. This is what James is talking about, looking at your face in a mirror. God's Word helps create a very accurate picture of the true you. Uh, In yielding to God's Word, we have a desire to be changed by it, changed by the Gospel. So God's Word helps you see a very accurate picture of who you really are. You see all all the things that are there because you've received God's Word, you've welcomed it, and it's at home in your life. You kind of look and go, man, looking in the mirror, shnikes, I didn't see that before because I'm reading God's Word. Why didn't anyone tell me I just had this huge cliffhanger of a booger hanging out of my nose, right? Ever happened to you? Okay. Maybe, maybe as you read God's Word and you look in the mirror and you get a picture of the life that God wants from you, you go, Man, I'm starting to see I'm in a very unhealthy physical relationship with somebody. You won't know that unless your eyes are understanding and having a navigation of what true north is. Maybe it's an unhealthy uh, internet usage. And you're looking at stuff, it doesn't satisfy you. Maybe it's an attitude in your heart. Maybe it's just things that you're growing into. All right? Not, not because it's a moral issue, because if you're an infant learning to walk, God expects you, uh, more and more of you, and he's showing you more through his church and through prayer in your times with him. Um, kids, they don't just, they're just, they're kids, and so they have, there's things they need to grow into. And the mirror, what it does, it helps us see a true reflection. Being a doer means that we see our lives in contrast to what scripture teaches, and we do what's required of us to live in unhindered relationship with God and his people. In this way, we are receiving what's already implanted in us. Does that make sense? We're saying, God, I need you. God, I trust you. Um, You have my best in mind. I want to hear from you. I want to hear your word. I don't want the world. I want to feast on you. I surrender to the infinite value of the word. And when you do that with meekness, we learn to love looking in the mirror. When you do that, you learn to love looking in the mirror so, because God's at work in you and he's at work through you. In this way, the mirror is God's perfect law that reflects to us who we are. James calls it law of liberty. Law of liberty. The gospel planted in us, received by us, is a law of liberty. Or another way of liberation. And we need to breathe it in every day. Every day. And so... James finishes this section about the Word of God with these verses, and it's another way to get really specific about what it means to receive God's Word and show that you've received it and that you're a doer by this. He says, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world couple things here and then I'm going to close. In verse 26, I read this recently and it just jumped off the page like in a way that I haven't experienced before. James is talking about worthless religion. Worthless. Worthless. I really don't want to be that guy. 
I don't want worthless religion. It's heartless ceremony. It's people who talk a good talk, but when they look in the mirror, they forget what they look like. It's those who are not quick to listen to God's word because they don't think they need it. Worthless religion rests on what I know and how puffed up I am and how I insist um, on sometimes not doing what God says. Worthless religion is interested in what I get out of the deal, what's in it for me. Argues with those who seem to chip at the straw man of faith sometimes. They put up a front. They don't lavishly apply the gospel to their lives. Worthless religion, James says, deceives your own heart. It's, it's treacherous to your own good. And then he contrasts it with this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. I've wrestled with this. I'm going to share just a little bit about what God's been doing in my life through this. I've really wrestled with this this year because I've gone back and forth in what I hear God saying and looking in the mirror and wondering if God's pleased with me when I read this. I feel like I don't understand how this fits into my life right now. Where does this fit into my life? I think there's a couple things that I've gleaned from this that I want to pass on to you. First, when we hear God's word and receive it, uh, we then have to learn to apply it, right? How do you apply verse 27? If you hear it and you receive it, how do you apply it? How does this, this end here apply to your life and mine? I do think that James is not only laying out, he's not laying out anything new here. He's simply just reiterating what Jesus has said and what God has always said. We're to love God, we're to love people. Love God, we're to love people. Scripture's, scripture mentions God's heart for the fatherless, the alien, and the widow over and over and over and over again. What am I doing? I mean, that, that's what I've been asking myself for about a year. What, what am I doing? What are we doing? I've been talking to my wife about this. Um, what is my family doing to love people who are afflicted the most? James mentions widows and orphans because I think they're the most apt to be neglected. And I've grown in my understanding of God's heart in this area. I used to think that God loves those people, and so that's good. That's kind of, that was my immature understanding. God, well, he mentions it a lot, so that's good. Good. Then about eight years ago, we started doing some concrete things that God led us to, to do. And I'm still growing, and the more I look into what God is asking of me personally um, and what he's asking us to do as a church, because, you see, I don't visit orphans. I've never, ever visited an orphan before. Um, that may be something that God impresses deeply on your heart to do. I know widows, and Michelle and I talked last week about um, the widows that we do know and about how we can care for them. What are some very concrete things that we can do because we're hearing God's word and trying to do what it says? We've been praying very specifically about, does God, God, do you want us to adopt? Do you want us to get our hands in there and adopt? And it brings up all of these concerns, all these fears and, and all these things, but we want to hear God tell us specifically. 
It costs a lot of money to adopt. Do we trust you, Lord, through this process if you call us to do it? But I have been involved with caring for the afflicted and needy. God calls us to do that. He calls us to self-sacrifice. We want to take just a minute here in all of our interaction fun. We uh, probably will do... Um, I've got to make a decision here. We'll, we'll do communion and we'll try that last song here. But I want to give us a chance to apply right now what James says. Don't look in the mirror. Turn away as if you haven't heard God say anything today. But be doers of the word, not hearers. And so for us as a family, we're wrestling through, does God want us to adopt? You know, this little study we're going through, it asks this question. It says, do you know anyone who was adopted? Yeah. Are you adopted? No. And then we get to the end, and, and, and it's talking about how God adopted me as his son. And we're going, oh, I've been tricked. <laughs> I'm adopted. It's the heart of the father to adopt children. And we're wrestling through, okay, God, what do you want us to do? Because I think he wants us to do something, and I just don't know what. And several years ago, we, we decided to do a couple things. And, and maybe, maybe you're hearing God's word, and it's plain. Um, here's your chance right now to be a doer. And if you, if you don't do anything in this crowd, that's fine. Come up and talk to me. But I'm just going to give you a chance to respond to it. This week, I invited some people, but not everyone, um, to go to a website called Kiva. If you've never heard of it, write it down. K-I-V-A. Kiva.org. I created a team, okay, called C-Stone. C-Stone Normal on Kiva. Kiva is a micro-lending website where they partner with people all over the world in lending to people who need money. And so Michelle and I, we typed in the word widow in the search engine and found dozens, if not hundreds, of different widows who need money in Africa, in Asia, in South America, because they have a textile business. And they need to buy more stuff so they can make it so that they can care for their kids. One woman has six children and is caring for 12 orphans. And she just needs $1,000 to buy some more stuff. And so we went and we, we basically put in hundreds of dollars and just said, take it. And they repay the loan. You get it back. About 99% of all loans through this website are paid back. Kiva. I thought, man, why don't we do this as a church? So I invite you guys to go look up Seastone Normal, and you'll see a little thing. And maybe, maybe you'll loan $25 to help somebody and you'll get paid back, and you'll do it again. And you'll get paid back, and you'll do it again. 
That's one way. That's one way we can make a difference as a group. And it would be cool to see what do we do this year? What is this? What do we do this year? So far, there's two members, me and Rob, the two people involved in this. So, so we want to make a difference, okay? I specifically searched for widows because I want to help them. Okay, what can I be doing, God? I, I've heard your word. I want, I'm, I'm trying to think of ways. The other thing we've done, uh, my family, is that we support compassion children. $38 a month. I know you're poor. I know you have a cell phone. I know you go to movies. I know you eat out. $38 a month supports a compassion kid. And so what I did today is I went on their website and, uh, and I, I got five kids who are orphaned. I don't know why. I got five kids who, who we can support here. And we can go, you know what, God, I hear your word. I hear what you're saying. And I, I, don't, I may not, never visit these kids, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 years old. I may never visit them, but I'm, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to give them a meal, give them a safe place to go to, and give them some education, and provide for them until they're 18. Maybe you want to do this. Maybe there's a group of you who want to do it. So this is application time right now for you. If any of this is making sense, why don't you just, I think, I, I was praying today that all five of these kids, these orphans, would get adopted by us here, college students, who would um, take care of them. And so I'm just going to ask, who wants to do it? Stand up. Just stand up. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to hand, hand them out. You guys, here, hand one back, hand one back. So again, it's $38 a month. They, they ask if, if there's, if they live in an AIDS um, area that they, here. One more. You want it? Great. Okay, if you, if you took it, come see me afterwards. Because we're going to do something about what we're hearing. Man, that is awesome. That is so cool. I am so excited. We pray every, almost, Lee, Lee can testify to this, almost every day for our compassion kids. We love getting their letters. They always ask us about what we eat. <laughs> and it's so cool. Are there mountains where you live or streams? And, and do you fetch water? Um, man, it's amazing. And it's so cool. There's more kids out there. Compassion is an awesome organization. Releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's what they want to do. Why don't we go ahead and pray and then uh, and take communion? And then we'll do another song. Lord, we might be, uh, we might feel like, who am I? And um, what, is, what is my place in this story? that I have anything to offer, and yet, Lord, I just see you smiling over us. Lord, we want to do something. We want to 
with meekness surrender our lives to the infinite value of your word and do something in our lives about it. Lord, as we continue to journey through James, Lord, I pray that we would be known as people of the book. Lord, thank you that you do infinitely care about us. Lord, help our lives to be shaped by your word. Do lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, we're going to go into a, just a time of communion. I just want to go ahead and, and uh, read a section in 1 Corinthians 11. If you guys want to follow along with me, you're welcome to. Paul writes, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion now is just the time for us to tangibly express for those who have put their faith in, in Jesus, in Christ, we invite you to come to the communion table. It's an opportunity for each one of us to connect with God who implanted his word in us by grace through faith that we would just acknowledge and love him more and more and more. And so let's celebrate communion together and uh, so we invite anybody who, um, who knows the Lord to, go to, to join us. The way we do it is rip off a piece of bread, dunk it in the juice, and, and then take communion whenever you're ready. I think Christopher's going to play something. Um, let me go ahead and pray and release you, and then the band can come back up, closing song, and then we'll be done. Lord, we, Lord I pray that we would grow in, into mature individuals understanding who you are and what you would have for us. God, help us to dream huge dreams for you. Lord, thank you for leaving us a very tangible expression and understanding uh, that your body was broken for us and that your blood was spilled for us, that it might be for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So whenever you're ready, you can have it.